Welcome into a new Buff Stampede radio. Adam Tiger, the publisher of BuffStampede.com. Joined by the professor, Jake Shapiro. This is going to be a little basketball segment here at the top, and then I'm going to get into the UCLA game and answer fan questions with Forever Buff Ryan Miller later in the program. Jake, I, I needed to start out with some positive stuff here on the podcast, and I don't want to go too long here. Let, let's keep this to around 10 minutes total, but Colorado's 3-0. and They have yet to play a high major program, but I wanted to get just your overall takeaways from what you've seen from this Tad Boyle 2021-2022 men's basketball team through three games. Yeah, you know, you're about to talk about UCLA football Saturday night. The, the basketball team played right before that football game, uh, won against New Mexico. That's probably the toughest team they've played so far, and that was down to uh, a single possession with two minutes left in Boulder, and then the Buffs pulled away. Uh, the first game of the year was Tuesday night uh, against Montana State, and they struggled. And I I sent you the yikes text like this might be this might be a problem. Um, I even tweeted erroneously, and I take it back. Y'all can tell me I'm stupid that there's no way the Buffs are winning this game. Um, and like all the numbers indicated, you know, like the win percentage, all that stuff was like above 85 percent at one point. All the numbers indicated that the Buffs were getting lucky, if anything, too, against this Montana State team, like the rebounding numbers and, you know, the the shooting numbers and stuff like that. Um, But they somehow found a way to come back and then they blew it again and then they came back again. And to have that happen in the first game of the year to show that type of resolve, especially from a guy like Keyshawn Bartholomew and then Eli Parquet to step up and hit a big shot, I think said something about this team. Uh, And yeah, we're giving it the ultimate positive spin that they played two mid-major programs and they were close against both of them, but pulled away. Well, this is a young team. And and we talked about it a few months ago, a few weeks ago, Adam, where most of these guys had yet to play over 200 college minutes. Like most of them had played around 50 or 60 or hadn't played at all. Keyshawn Bartholomew's played, you know, 300 college minutes coming into this season. He's already 11th in the nation. Last time I checked in points scored, like there's some real positivity with this program, despite maybe some tough results, uh, even though they did result in wins. Um, I will say, I think Montana state might be going to the NCAA tournament. If that is, uh, that seems like that might be the best team from that league. New Mexico is a team that is under new leadership with uh, a Patino and has a Mashburn running their guard and their guard play looks really good. Like that might make be a team that makes some noise in the mountain West, honestly, but yeah, it was nice to see them come out against Maine and have a huge win like this literally the second biggest win by margin in the tad Boyle era uh and send them off to the virgin islands where they'll play you know some real competition in southern illinois and then you know can actually bump up against colorado state which i think kind of all of us want to see to be honest i don't want to get too far ahead of myself Uh, again this a small sample size three games but it, it really feels like this team genuinely truly likes playing with each other every preseason whether it's football or basketball you're gonna hear the players talk about how great the camaraderie is and sometimes you you get early in the season and body language and just the way they react to each other doesn't really back that up with this team though even when they were down at times early this season it really felt like you could kind of tell that energy that these guys have with each other is that something you've sensed as well you know, when you have a guy like Evan Batty, that energy is absolutely infectious. And, you know, you're, you're saying we hear this often with teams, you know, and, and it's it's largely BS. Like 
people are, you know, want minutes and they don't really care about their other teammates. They want to do better than their teammates and that's their competition. Uh, the biggest telling quote so far from this season was Jabari Walker after the game against Maine, where he said, man, like it was the best thing ever to get those walk-ons in and I want them to play more. What we often hear is we love watching the walk-ons play because that means they've won by a lot and, you know, they get to sit on the bench and enjoy it and, you know, watch the walk-ons play. What we don't often hear is Jabari Walker, one of the stars of the team saying, yeah, I wish not only the walk-ons, but the bench can play more because they are working very hard. And one of the things we've heard from Tad Boyle consistently through three games is, I don't have enough minutes to go around. I wish I could get a guy like KJ Simpson or Julian Hammond more minutes. Um, the fact that there isn't enough minutes to go around and that one of the best players on the team is saying, I wish we could find a way to get these guys minutes um, shows that there is some sort of camaraderie that's deeper than um, why aren't I in the game right now? So that, that to me is telling. And then it comes out in the resolve of coming back against a team like Montana state. Like, you know, again, that's not the best team in the world, but it looks like they might be a postseason team. And the buffs had no business winning that game. And they had every reason to think the sky was falling, including the fan base, which felt like the sky was falling at one point in the CU event center. And they come back in their first real game together and they win that game. So, uh, yeah, there is something to be said about the mentality of this team behind the scenes. I feel pretty good about our top post countdown again. It's only three games, but there's a lot of football seasons where even through three games, you look back and go, gosh, we kind of botched it on a few of these. Uh, is there any tweaks you would make on that list? Again, a real small sample size. You know, I, I don't have the list in front of me off the top of my head, but I think Luke O'Brien might have just been a little bit too high. Uh, and we, we we had this conversation on the board the other day. Uh, I was involved with it. And Luke O'Brien has not produced the numbers, but Tad has loved the way he has played. I think after all three games, Tad has been complimentary of Luke. Um it's he's one of those guys where it's just like, where is the usage going to come from? Because the usage is being spread around. And I think Luke will step up his game and be fine. Ultimately, um, the guy I would probably put a little bit higher is KJ Simpson has been very impressive to me. He had a game with eight rebounds. Uh, we knew he was going to be a spark plug off the bench, but I didn't realize he was going to be a guy that could go snatch some rebounds and also be uh, kind of a dog on defense, you know, kind of in people's pockets and stuff. And, you know, it's one thing to do that against New Mexico. It's another to do it against Stanford. So we'll see. Um, but the other guy that has been extremely impressive and we had him high, uh, and I talked very complimentary about him preseason was Nick Clifford. And I've been saying that this guy has all the tools, like literally could be an NBA guy. I said this months ago on the top of buffs countdown when we reported this a few weeks ago. Um, like just look at the way Nick Clifford moves on the court. And I think some people that have been to the games have seen this. He looks like a professional basketball player. Now he still needs to get a shot down, but the fact that he's going out there and snatching rebounds, he's, he's got a great vertical is really impressive. I've also really liked what I've seen from Keyshawn Bartholomew. Um, he is scoring a lot of points. He's also getting after it on defense for the most part. He made the biggest play of the game against uh, New Mexico, which was not a shot that he hit. It was diving on the floor and calling a timeout, going after a loose ball. I mean, you got your star guard. I mean, he's not a star necessarily, but you know what I mean? He, you got your lead guard going on the floor like that, and he's a 20-point scorer. He has no business doing that. He doesn't need to do that, but it just, again, goes to the mentality of this team, and it goes to show you how they know if they're not going to do it, someone right behind them is going to do that. And that's proved by the fact that Tad actually pulled Eli Parquet from the game um, against New Mexico or Maine because he didn't like his 
whatever was happening. So he pulled him for a minute and just talked with him. And someone went out there and did the job. So like we said on the top buffs countdown, uh, anyone one through 10, one through 11 in this program right now might be the player of the night on any given night. Aside from wins, is there anything specific you want to see out of this team as they begin that paradise jam? Um, you know, they've done a pretty good job of rebounding so far, like really good. They're actually second in the country in rebound margin. I want to see if that holds up against some higher competition. I also want to see what Tad's looking for, which is um, the turnover numbers have been bad at times, but they've also come down consistently throughout the first few games. Are those turnover numbers um, going to continue to come down or you know stay about the same once they jump up to higher competition? Because that's the thing that could ultimately kill them. Um, the buffs are also not shooting the ball, uh, uh, or well, they are shooting the ball amazingly well. Like they're the 17th best shooting team in the country by three point shots. Um, I want to see how that stacks up. Like Keyshawn Bartholomew is not going to continue to shoot 70% from three this year. And I said this going into the year that Jabari Walker is not going to be a 50% three point shooter, but he's at 40 right now. So what's this going to look like when they have actual competition is kind of what I want to see with some of the numbers. Like are the buffs really a 90 point per game team? Probably not, but you're also looking at some stuff between the numbers in the peripherals. Like the rebound margin has been plus eight uh, and continues to be plus eight in every game. Uh, The field goal percentage for the opponents has dropped every single game so far, I believe. Um, So you're looking at some of the numbers Tad looks for and those numbers, which are normally indicators of the success of this program. And every single year we've seen Tad Boyle coach this team. Those numbers continue to get better are those numbers going to continue to get better once we see them against teams that we think can actually, you know, stack up against the buffs? You got asked a question from a fan asking for an update on Quincy Allen. In case that fan doesn't know he's out for the season with a hip injury. Have you seen him on the bench? Is he, he's off crutches now, I would assume. He spent spent, uh, about 20 minutes after the game on Monday night shooting around. So he he is moving. Um, You know, I I don't want to put him in the Jamal Murray space, like where it's like Jamal Murray right now is active and can do everything. And he's, I think he's been even cleared for contact, but you know, it takes a while to recover. I think that, you know, when you have some of these big injuries with like a hip injury or something like that, it just takes a while to get your legs underneath you quite literally. And uh, even if, Quincy's doing a lot of the things that you can do. And I don't think Quincy's quite at the level where he's cleared for contact yet. But even if Quincy's doing a lot of those things, you still need to, it, it takes a while. The hardest 10% is 90 to hundred percent, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, I'm not sure that Quincy's even at 90%, but it takes a while to finish off your recovery. And, and someone pointed this out on the board too. It seems like the buffs are missing, missing Quincy Allen. And this was in the Luke O'Brien thread. And of course they're missing a five-star guy. Like, of course they could use that guy. Um, but I've been extremely impressed with what they've done on the wings between uh neat clifford and uh eli parquet which i guess is kind of a wing shooting guard uh but also tristan da silva who we heard a lot of good things about in the preseason he's had i think two and a half good games out of the three so far and he's made some nice plays here and there so uh that that looks like one of those guys that it could be a, a boil steal in two years from now you know as the silva's a four-year guy you're wondering how the hell did the buffs get him um I, I i'm starting to get some really good feelings about tristan da silva because he continues to do good things uh and it was as, a, as another note just nice to see julian hammond get into that game against maine that was one of the bus focal points going into that game <laughs> I'm over here on the football grind. Uh, you've been at the CU Event Center covering those games. I get to live vicariously through you, Jake. What's it been like to have fans back in that building? 
It was a little disappointing Monday night because the, the crowd wasn't great, but I kind of understand it a week before break for the students. They're playing Maine. Um, but I used to live for those games because I knew they would win. Like, so it was all, it was all gravy, you know? Um, but it's been, it's been really nice. Uh, the games have been close too, which is fun as a journalist because, you know, it gives you storylines. Um, as a fan, it drives you crazy because it's like, why aren't they blowing this team out already? Uh, but it's been really nice to, to be around all the people in the press box for football games. You're so secluded in the press area for the basketball games. You're literally having people come up to you going, uh, during the game saying, I read buff stampede. Thanks for the coverage. And I'm like, ah, man, like, thank Adam. Don't thank me. I don't, I don't, I don't do anything, (laughs) but it's, it's great. Like I love being around that environment. It was just, it was so bad to miss that community last year because it is such a community that's important in my life and it's been fun to see honestly the students kind of try to figure out some of the traditions that have been lost in the year like it took like almost two games for the students to figure out the c u let's go buffs free throw thing like they didn't they weren't doing that game one um so it's been a little bit of a work in progress as people kind of figure out how to fan again uh but you can tell the way you know a guy like Evan Batty reacts to big plays or the fans react back to Evan Batty that they were missed. And one of the best moments so far, if not the very best moment, was uh, after the game on uh, the first game of the season last Tuesday, Evan met up with one of the twins. They just kind of walk, were walking past each other, and I was walking past at the same time. And Evan gave her a big hug, almost lifted her off the ground, and was like, I love you so much. Do you know that? Uh, I don't know the rest of the conversation it was in private and he was whispering in her ear, but it, it's just, you see the connection and how important these fans are. And, you know, you have a guy like uh, Montana Lamonius Craig, who's been really important to this football team showing up and supporting the basketball team courtside. Like it's cool to see the community come out like that because it, it was sorely missed last year. Awesome. Great stuff, Jake. I appreciate you. And now let's jump in to my football discussion with forever buff Ryan Miller. Ryan, I I put it out to the message board like I always do, asking fans if they want to submit questions. And the first one that came back was from AZ History Buff 13, and it was just a one-word response, and it was why. And I think he was asking, why are we doing a podcast after that game? I've got to give you credit, Ryan. You you reached out to me on Sunday, and uh, I think that's the old player in you that win or loss, you're going to be there and ready to roll. So I appreciate you for, for reaching out. Yeah, you know, I I completely understand that question. But as as much as this one hurts, and I think I speak for all of Buff Nation when I say that, is this one this one stings. Is there were some excellent things that happened early on with our players, and I I I don't like to pull this card a lot, but I think we got absolutely obliterated in second half adjustments and. I'm sure we'll get into that more as we talk about it, but I think it is imperative that we talk about some of the successes that this team is having right now, regardless of the outcome of that UCLA game. I thought there was some, some stuff that we could, we could put a little bit of faith in. And I know people want to throw darts at the board about who's getting the the ax and what needs to change and how we can just flip a coin. And all of a sudden we're going to be undefeated in the national champs, but Hey, we'll we'll get rolling in on this, and but I, yeah. I get it. You know, we we got to talk about stuff. So there's the announcer jinx yeah. in basketball, where the announcer talks about how great a free throw shooter somebody is, and they go up there and brick it, and then everybody blames the announcer. I had a little bit of uh, blowback on Saturday night when CU was driving for their fourth score of the game in the first half uh, to go up twenty to seven. I tweeted. 
This is what I tweeted, Ryan. I said, the CU Buffs offense has gone from unwatchable to competent to dot, 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 dare I say efficient. Maybe too soon to make such a declaration, but impressive first half. <laughs> from that point forward, UCLA scored 37 unanswered. So I'll take some responsibility there for putting the jinx on the Buffs on Saturday. But uh, oh. yeah, Ryan, 20-7 uh, to seven, and then, like I just mentioned there, 37 unanswered by UCLA. Just give me your 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 general takeaways, the good, bad, and the ugly from that football game? Um, good. I thought we saw Brandon Lewis make excellent decisions again for the first half. Um, bad, I thought second half adjustments and defense giving up some some pretty pretty monstrous, in, in my opinion, just flaws in, in defensive slots. Uh, and then ugly was just that second half being unable to finish a game. And I, I didn't feel like we had quit in us and I don't think we have quit in us, but I was, I mean, I questioned a little questioned a little bit at the end of the game, what was going on. Um, it's, man, that's a hard one to yeah. sort of have, just have such great stuff going on and then deflate. And momentum's a real thing, obviously, and things can snowball in a team. Uh, when you've been part of games where things have, have gone both ways, you know, that have snowed, snowballed against the other team or snowballed against you, what is, is that a real thing? Do you feel that on the sideline when that's happening? You, ab- you absolutely do. It takes an extremely mature player to not let that impact them. Um, I think with the experience that we have on this team right now, once that little bit got in there, it spread quick, fast, and in a hurry. Um, but and then, but in the same thing is, if you've got momentum going in, you know, going into halftime, for UCLA to come out and just absolutely throttle down, um, that you, you got to give credit to that and to that coaching staff for what they were able to fix in a very short amount of time and exploit as well. It seemed like CU's defense was showing signs of improvement, you know, at times at least, against Oregon State, and then in the first half against the Bruins. Uh, but you look at it, in the last three games without Nate Lamon, they've given up an average of 43.3 points per game. It feels a whole lot like it did at the very end of the 2020 season when they didn't have Lamon out there. You look at the first six games of the season, kind of taking out that Cal game, because that's a game that Nate Lamon got hurt in early on. Through those first six games, Ryan, they were only giving up an average of 19.8 per game. So everybody's really high on on Chris Wilson and New DC and, and what this defense was doing. Uh, but again, without number 53, without Nate Lamon out there, UCLA gains over 500 yards. It can't just be one player having that big of an impact, right? It, though it's got to be other factors. There are some other factors in there. Obviously, Nate left a, a gaping hole. Um, no, no pun intended with that, but guys were just out of gap positions uh, that whole second half. And, and it was UCLA took full advantage of that with, with breaking off some of those runs and we couldn't stop the run. You know, if we had two bulldozers and a plow, um, it was, you, you saw the holes that, that were there and then increases became, became huge seams and pipelines at that. And Nate did an excellent job, you know, early on in the season of being that A and B gap stopper, which forces teams to go to the outside and have to be a little bit more magical with what they can do. They can't, they weren't able to run it in between the tackles when you've got 
a stud middle linebacker back there. And I think that was, you know, that, that gave uh, the DC a little bit more leeway with knowing he could leave the middle of the defense alone and first and second, third down runs really weren't as big of an option because we had a run stop in there and he knew they knew where to put his nose to, to stop that run. And we're all missing it right now, but I just didn't see guys getting in gaps like they had been this, this weekend. And it was, you know, the, the scoreboard kind of showed that up. It was kind of interesting too. Last week, our UCLA site put up video of UCLA head coach Chip Kelly talking about Nate Landon. And he talked about how he was so good at diagnosing plays that what they would do with their scout team middle linebacker is tell him what play the offense is going to run so that that player gets a head start so that, because he felt like that was the only way they could somewhat replicate what Nate Landman can do on the field in terms of diagnosing play. So it was the ultimate praise that, that Chip Kelly had for Nate Landman. Um, and he was kind of talking about him being just one of the, the more special players he had scouted against from an offensive mindset, looking ahead and trying to prepare for a defense. It will be senior day on Saturday. So there is still some motivation there for this football team to send those guys off on the right. Now there's going to be a lot of fifth year juniors since eligibility didn't count last year that are going to be playing in their last game at Folsom field on Saturday. We don't know who all those players are going to be, uh, but there, there's going to be quite a few guys out there that are going to be playing in their last home game for the bus. As far as the scholarship seniors, that's Nate Lamon, Mustafa Johnson, Matt Lynch, Kari Kutch, and then I'm sure Jeremiah Doss will get uh, – maybe he'll be part of the senior day ceremony there because uh, he's not going to be able to play. He's missed the entire season due to a knee injury. This is what Carl Durrell had to say about those four healthy scholarship seniors going into senior day. Mustafa just was really happy that he was able to join us. You know, I know he, he couldn't play for, for four games, but it was just – I was happy for him that, you know, he, he, he had a chance to um, – kind of clear up the scenario that he put himself into last year with declaring for the draft and it didn't work out and coming back and having a chance to play. I think that was the right thing for the NCAA to allow him to do. And and I think he's he's very grateful of that, you know, getting a chance to play this last year. So he's playing hard. He's playing pretty well. You know, he was one of our players of the game, you know, versus the Oregon State, you know, a couple of weeks ago. So uh, we're hoping he gets a chance to finish the season away that he's capable of and that he feels that he's done some fulfilling things. You know, Nate's been Nate. You know, Nate's chomping to play. And, you know, it would be hard pressed for me to say he won't play because I'm, I'm sure he's going to try to get himself on the field. And he's been, a, you know, a, a very impactful leader. You know, he's very passionate about the game. He's old school Dick Buck, Dick Buck this, you know, type kid. He's just loves the game. He studies it that way. He tries to share a lot of the stuff that he does naturally to his young counterparts, but, you know, he just has a, just a natural feel that you can't teach, you know, at times. But he's, he's been trying to, you know, tr to create that foundation of thinking with the younger players here so he feels like he's leaving his mark, you know, on the program. You know, Kari, Kari's, I've been here almost two years, I guess a year and a half, and He's my, you know, we've had short conversations that maybe the most has ever been is 10 words, you know, in one conversation. He just doesn't talk very much. But the thing that I love about Kari is that he puts it all on the field. He's so consistent and productive. And he has a future. He has a future. And he's a, he's a really good player. And he hasn't been injured. 
and he's been consistently playing well throughout the year. Even in the darker moments when the offensive line hasn't played well, he's been a steady, steady, uh, consistent performer. So Matt Lynch has been filling his role pretty well for us too. He's, you know, he transferred here from UCLA. He's one of our tight ends, and you know, he's also our quarterback sneaker. You know, he does a lot of different things that we ask him to do because of his, you know, his experience in the game and. And we, we feel like he's, you know, playing, you know, to his role. He's playing his role very well, too, making a big impact with some of the younger tight ends. So, you know, all of those guys have been, I, I think, instrumental for the young players in this program. They have been. You know, they've all had great attitudes, even when the, the tough moments of this season. It's been a very challenging season, but they've been very, very positive about you know, pushing the envelope for these for the future of this program to get forward, you know, and to learn from this this experience this year. All right, that was Carl Drill's comments on those seniors. Ryan, I'm curious what you remember about your senior day back in 2011. It was one of the more memorable senior days from a media standpoint, just covering it, because you guys beat Arizona. There were still two games left on the schedule that year for you guys. Uh, but I remember John Embry brought all of you guys, I think there were 28 seniors on that team back in, in 2011 into the post-game press conference. It took took a while for you guys to fill into that room. It was kind of down in the basement of the Dow Ward Center where we used to do the post-game press conference. Uh, what do you remember about that day? I remember being being on the team or being with a lot of guys that that I knew this might be it for them as far as playing playing football and there's something when you build a bond with the guys in the locker room you spent so many countless hours that that the that the outside doesn't see right winter conditioning training camp two days late meetings travel days um all of that really kind of came to fruition for me with these guys is like this is it's a special group to outlast, right. To come in and stay and, and play and then finally be, you know, diploma or graduating or, or giving you, giving that last little bit to, to a team and to a school and to a university that was, you know, that, that treated you extremely well. At least that's how my, my thoughts on it were is it's, it's a neat thing. It, it does give you a little bit more zest and oomph and X factor going into that game. Um, and the fact that we didn't have a great senior season, as far as the wins and losses columns go. Uh, but it was to get a home win on your senior day in front of the crowd with your family. That's, that's an excellent, excellent feeling. And it's, it's no consolation, but it's, it, it was a, it was a wonderful experience for me. So. And obviously a lot of really good buffs participated in your senior day. The first two that popped in my head are Tyler Hanson and, and Rodney Stewart. That, like you said, you, you guys didn't win a ton of games in, in 2011 um, but you know, that, that was kind of a fun duo there in terms of the screen game. You guys really implemented that season. What was, I would imagine that, uh, playing with Speedy Stewart what was pretty fun. Yeah. Rodney, that dude just, you'd blink and he was gone. And I remember watching film, you know, we were watching offensive film and thinking, where does Rodney have the ball? And you couldn't tell because his biceps were so big. <laughs> you weren't sure if you were looking at the ball or if you were just looking at the hulking mass that were his arms. Uh, and Speedy just had a great laugh about him. This, that whole offense we had you know, back then, was it was fun. Um, we had guys flying around. We had some talented dudes on out offense as well. A handful of guys went off to play, you know, play a little bit more at that professional level. 
but screen game, getting the run game going, that was that was a blast. And then we had a deep ball threat too. It was it felt like it was a little too late though when everything came together. If we're yeah. going to revisit those old glory days. Well, we're going to revisit the Utah game, but we got to wait until we get to, to Utah week. That, that was a, f- a fun day. My favorite story about Rodney Stewart was Ryan Koenigsberg, who covers the Broncos now, was a student uh, helping me out on the site back, back in those days. He said he was in the rec center one day. Rodney Stewart walked in with a mink coat on. He walked over to a bench rack, put on whatever weight. I don't know what the amount was. Did one set, put his mink coat back on, and walked out of the rec center. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that was the kind of personality he had. Yep, yep. So getting back to this current team, bowl eligibility is off the table now. I'm curious, Ryan, how much does that truly motivate players once you get between the lines on game day? We always talk about what's motivating these guys, but when you're actually running out onto the field, does that stuff matter? Does it matter? if bowl eligibility was still on the table for this team and does it matter that it's not anymore? Uh, I don't know. I know for me, bowl eligibility was, was something that we had my true freshman year. Um, And there's no, you know, there's no, there is the college football playoff, but the opportunity to play in a postseason game is big, but I would, I would, put my bet that the game at hand is the most important thing that you're worried about right now, or at least that you should be worried about. Um, I, I don't think it's as big of a thing as people put, put stock into that, you know, bull eligibility, bull eligibility. Well, yes, that's really important, but also playing the best game that you possibly can this day right now is, is probably at the forefront of all of that or should be. Yeah. And I imagine there's no player that really wants to suit up and go out there and embarrass themselves. Right. I mean, they're going to play, at least for, for pride for their, their own abilities and for themselves, right? It is. It's a game. It's, this is an opportunity to have fun, and fun is sometimes described differently than others. But this is, it's an opportunity to get out there and, and be with the guys you go to class with and, and live with and, and show off and show out for, for your school. And that should be that, – that's, I think, where college football gets lost is – it is a game, and there's no better game to play than when you're playing it with the seniors and the guys around you that you're in that locker room with. Let's jump into these questions we got from the fans. The first one is from Movie Buff. He asked, how did the line look for UCLA? For the offense, the first half was impressive and the second half was abysmal. Does this strengthen or weaken William Vallejo's audition? And then along those lines, Shine to Buff asked, what adjustments should the offense and defensive lines have made during the UCLA game. So just, I kind of lumped in the questions about the lines here, Ryan, any thoughts on this? Yeah, there was a lot of movement going on in the front half and what we stayed gap sound and were able to get, um, able to get the run game going. And and Broussard was able to break a couple of those runs, which opened up some more, more of the playbook uh, is the way I saw it. And in the second half, it looked like, there were some definite changes in the defensive scheme and where guys were coming from. And I don't think, I don't think we had an answer for that. It didn't seem like the right side and the left side were on the same page. And it just seemed like there were some gaping holes, especially when the pass rush started coming uh, that, that we were able to plug and or fill. Um, That was, those would be the two things that I think I I noticed the most of uh, was just, 
correct assignments, and then being able to have a plan to adjust on the run. And that's, you know, as far as his, uh, you know, Vallejo's interview goes, I don't think that really counts against him as he's had three weeks. Is that, is that what it is now? Three weeks, two weeks with this, with this squad to go over ifs, ands, and buts uh, when a defensive front changes things. When you install a new set of base rules or have a new coach, they want things done a certain way. Uh, and you generally fall back to that. If you haven't had time to work on that, and I don't know when they would have in such a, a short time frame. So I'm going to give him a, a little bit of rope here on that. And I think I don't think that's going to hurt him. I don't think it should uh, coming from a adaptation and a, a second half adjustment goes. MB Buffalo asked, how hot is Chris Wilson's seat? Obviously, uh, asking about the job security of Colorado's defensive coordinator. Well, it's not hot right now. A, like I had mentioned earlier this season, the defense was actually playing really well overall through the first half of the season. And so, yeah, they're going to have to figure this out without Nate Lamon. But, uh, you know, that was going to be an issue even if Tyson Summerson came back this year. That At some point, they were going to have to figure it out, with Nate, out without Nate Lamon. They have not figured it out to this point. Hopefully, 2022 is that year they, they do that. But also, you got to look at the financial side of this thing, too, is Chris Wilson's finishing up mm-hmm. the first year of a three-year contract. And he's be, he's set to be paid 600000 in 2022 and 650000 in 2023. So uh, Chris Wilson will be the defense coordinator in 2022, Aaron Lott 303 also asked about Carl Drell being on the hot seat. Same deal. It's he, he's locked in. He's going to be the head coach next year. And so something really shocking happens. But, uh, you know, that's the situation that Colorado's in. Uh, we'll see what happens with the offense coordinator situation. Uh, you know, personally, I think it'd be better for them to make a change there. Uh, but, you know, that's kind of the day and age we're in. You know, Carl Drell was uh, the Pac-12 coach of the year last year. And it is crazy how quickly things can change uh, with, with, some few, with a few losses. No, and I'm glad you said that because it looks like there's a lot of college football fan bases that just forget um, what a coach was capable of doing with a team that wasn't even his recruiting class, had a COVID year, and we could list the amount of things that that adversity channels and what this team had to go through, but we are so quick to see two day shipping on a team. And it drives me a little nuts. Um, let these guys get a, get a strength staff, let them get time with, with a D coordinator, with an O coordinator, right. With players that you brought in so fast, we see a myriad of coaching changes in the first three years. If that, um, And we expect this immediate gratification and satisfaction. And I say that, you know, almost one side of my mouth and the other, because, yes, I want to see us succeed. But we do have a very young team that hasn't had a whole lot of time with this strength staff either. That is a crucial part of college football that I think a lot of people aren't bringing to the table when they think about, okay, what's, what's actually going on with this team? I totally understand why CU fans are frustrated and to have questions about whether Carl Drill is the the guy or not is, is fair. You know, I I agree with that. It's just when you get into the hot seat stuff and, you know, Carl Drill is going to be the the head coach next year. So I just don't want to spend the the next eight months talking about him being on the hot seat. Now, if they come out and struggle next year, then all of a sudden that, that debate, I think becomes more of a a real conversation, but um, 
there's financially and also just the fact that this is only Carl Durrell's second season. Uh, he will be back in 2022. So accept that reality. And uh, otherwise, you're, you're going to be disappointed. Uh, up next is a question from Natty Zaddy. He asked, seems like the gimmicky schemes work great for the schools at a recruiting disadvantage. He used the Air Raid 335 defense run shoot claw fence as uh, examples here. He said, uh, what are your thoughts on CU going that route and recruiting players that fit the specific system instead of using the same system as everyone else with worse talent? I feel like every offseason we hear that we are multiple on both sides of the ball, but in season, it often looks boring and does not match our players very well. What do you think on that? What, what's, what are your thoughts on kind of having uh, a gimmicky scheme uh, with your with your team that maybe you don't have as much talent as some other teams? I, I don't like it. I don't think you should go out and recruit kids that, that fit your, quote, puzzle piece when it comes to scheme. I think you should go out and recruit men that have earned a position on your line and on your team and that are going to be better men, not only on the football field, but in the classroom and in the community. So I don't I don't want to put stock into that question as, you know, we, we need to be a, a West Coast team or we need to be a, an air raid or a or, or this or that. I want I want to have athletes that come in and can learn how to run the ball and how to pass protect regardless of the scheme. And not every team is one-dimensional like that. And if they are, normally a team figures it out and the next couple of games they're having trouble going to their air raid or, or whatever it is because they are one-dimensional. Um, yeah, I, that's, that's not how I would approach it. But I'm I'm one person in this conversation, Ryan. You can get too multiple, though, can't you? Because of that twenty-hour rule, just I mean, if you're putting too much into your scheme, I would think with the amount of time that college players actually have to practice, that maybe that could be an issue. You're right with that. Um, you know, you you can't you can't run seventeen different variations of an offense, but it's very easy to, to blow or to, to run 10 variations off of you know, a basic 11 set or, or even a King set or something where you can just move people around on the field and you're still running the same thing. You just make it look different. Um, you're just putting a bow on a different side of the package and it's the same play. It just changes where people line up at. Uh, and that kind of ties into what I was talking about with second half adjustments is you always go back to your base offense. And then you can doll it up or dress it up here with a formation change or a, or a run pass option or an option pass or a, a read. Just There's little tidbits you can throw into there to make your offense extremely multifaceted, but it's still all growing from the same roots. Farhang asked, for the short and long-term success of the program, which should be emphasized? And number one was retaining fifth-year juniors at the top of the jump chart for experience and leadership. Or number two, making room for a large incoming freshman class and transfer portal top targets. Those fifth-year juniors—it's a long list of guys that he's talking about. Uh, you're talking about Makai Blackman, Terrence Lang, Carson Wells, Guy Thomas, Isaiah Lewis, Quinn Perry, Janaz Jordan, Colby Purcell, Chance Lytle, Brady Russell, Daniel Arias, Maurice Bell, Alex Fontenot, Jalen Jackson, Justin Jackson. 
Jamar Montgomery, John Van Deest, Robert Barnes, Chris Miller, Curtis Appleton, and Josh Watts. And then uh, Ferhang, he edited his post and just he said that, just saw you bring this up with Jarrell and he avoided the answer by pretending the issue doesn't exist except to set expectations for quality players transferring out. Well, it's math and with about five official seniors leaving and roughly 20 incoming freshmen, we need to shed a net 15 players. So Ryan, there, there's a lot to chew on here. Basically, he's saying, do you want to put an emphasis on these fifth-year juniors coming back because they've played in your system, or is it better to kind of move those guys out, guys out and make room for the freshmen and transfer portal targets? And he's asking which of those two should be emphasized. Um, and, and CU doesn't have to go all in on, on one of these, and I don't think they're going to. I think it's going to be very much a mixture, maybe even 50-50 in terms of a guy like Makai Blackman, yes, you want to bring him back. He's a, an established corner in this league, and just moving him out for the sake of bringing bringing in a different body when you've invested this time and effort into his development doesn't make a lot of sense. But there's a lot of other guys on this this long list that I just read off that they've made maybe a few nice plays for CU, but it, maybe it looks like they kind of reached their potential, and that uh, you maybe would be better off saying, hey, you've already earned your degree. It's time to move on. We need to make room. And they do. As he points out, Farhang mentioned that, hey, right now, you can't sign the guys that are verbally committed in high school if you don't make room for them. So he said they need to shed net 15 players from the roster. I haven't done the math. I was kind of planning to wait to find out uh, what we find out with some of these uh, fifth-year juniors who's coming back to kind of really crunch those numbers. But, uh, Ryan, any thoughts here? I don't think you want to just kick players out for the sake of, hey, we had a, you know, a three-win season or a four-win season, and so we're going to bring in all fresh faces, right? I mean, they're, they're like you had mentioned earlier, there's a lot of young guys on this team, and so you don't want to just throw all that development out the window. No, that's, that's exactly it. Is I, I want to keep as many guys that have bought bought in and that are committed to this program around as I can because I think that's where – one thing that we've talked about all year is needing needing cohesion, needing leadership, and having having somewhere to go for experience. If we start chopping guys off, that's you know we're we're shooting ourselves in the foot, all, almost literally, um, by removing those leadership presence from the weight room and the locker room. It's I would it would it's not the way I would do it, um, but I also see that if you've got a guy that that got his degree that you know playing time isn't isn't number one on his list and the reason i say his list is if his playing if a playing time is important for him he'll find a way to get onto the field i want guys like that on my team but if he's there to just go through the motions move on get 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 a young kid in there where i can start instilling this this tradition and, and this ex, these uh this experience on that kid and get a better return on my investment than having somebody who just checked a box if you will yeah. Well, it's interesting, too, is he, he brings up the transfer portal as well. And you're going to need to play that game, Ryan. I know, I know you hate the transfer portal, but it's part of college football now. And, and unfortunately, it's not going to go anywhere, especially now there's this one-time transfer exemption. One thing you, you, you don't want to fall in the trap of is like Terrence Lang, for instance, he has not lived up to our expectations this year. But if you say, OK, well, Terrence, you have your degree, you need to move on, and you go to the portal, there's no guarantee that guy is going to be better because they brought some guys into the portal that everybody was really excited about this last year, 
and they haven't really panned out to those expectations. So, um, you know, there, there are, but there are, there are guys on this list that I just mentioned that you will see move on. There's no question about that. Let's move on to Ellie Buff. He asked over under on coaches leaving or being replaced after the season ends. I would probably put the over under at 2.5. I don't know, Brian, do you want to play this game? Do you, do you want to take the over or under there? No, I don't want to play. <laughs> okay. Fair I, enough. I, I don't want to play. <laughs> no, I, but, but to that, I won't just leave it a, leave it dead is I still think that we have a, a good coaching staff here. I can see a couple of positions up for, up for discussion. Um, you know, OC, I love Shiv as a coach, love Shiv as a, as a person. I don't think OC is the spot necessarily for him. But, again, this is off of you – know, we, we had a coaching change on the O-line. What did we see get better immediately? Offense had a lot better production. So I don't think we can point fingers at one thing immediately and go, this is the problem, right? That's, I think that's an asinine way to look at it. Um, but that would be, that'd be the number one hot seat for me if, if I had to make, make decisions about it. Shine above asked, which freshmen seem to be improving the most? There, there's a few guys that have seemed to get a little bit better as the season go, go, goes along here. Ryan, what, one of the first guys on offense that comes to mind is Chase Penry. I think he's going to be – he's already a, a pretty solid slot receiver. I think he's got a chance to develop into uh, a really dependable option for the Buffs. Yeah, he's he's moving around. I'd like to see his, uh, his routes get better. But, again, you know, he is – He's a young kid, and I think he just needs a little bit more experience to to really help uh, go with that. Um, oh shoot, who was I just going to talk about? Um, crying out loud, having one of those days. Is he I'm offense let you or continue defense? Continue on this till I remember. It was he an offense or defensive defense. guy? Defense. Trevor Woods, uh, maybe? defensive. No, um, cornerback. Nico Reed. Oh, uh, DB. Reed. Reed, okay. Yeah, um, he was he was the next guy I was going to mention as well. He definitely has – you can tell he's playing with confidence out there. Well, he's he's moving around, and he's got good vision on the ball, and he has a little bit of that anticipation that I think is really hard to coach. Um, you know, some guys just have a, a knack of, of where to be body position-wise, and I think he's doing a good job of it. He, I think size-wise, you know, he could put on a little bit more um, – a little bit more of that upper body, I think, would help him a little bit. But otherwise, I've been pretty impressed with with his his stuff so far. And Trevor Woods, I thought, was making a lot of progress. He did get hurt uh, in that Oregon State game. They say he might play this week. He's a guy I think that the safety position is going to be a mainstay for them going forward. He, he's just a he's just a playmaker. And, and we've also seen Tyron Taylor get quite a bit of experience in that secondary. A guy that came in as a cornerback and when Chris Miller went down and, and they had some injuries at Nickelback, he filled in there and he's even played a little safety. So he's another guy that I really like there. And I know Cole, Cole Becker missed a kick against UCLA, but you, you can tell he's going to be a solid kicker for the buffs here the, the next three years as well. Uh, next question is from Alex one, two, four, eight. He asked, why is Carl Durrell so boring? His program so boring. Does he know how boring he is? To answer that, first, I think I, I think you start with the fact that Carl Durrell is the son of a naval officer. Kind of his his demeanor, but I think his program is so boring because they're not winning games. No one was saying was complaining about Carl Durrell being boring when they were four and zero in twenty twenty, right? 
Yeah, he's he's very composed, is how I would say it. Is I think he lives even keeled, and he plays, he coaches the game even keeled. You don't see too many, you know, jumping jacks, high fives, but at the same time, he's not throwing his hat and and kicking dirt. Uh, and I can absolutely appreciate that as staying on a staying on an even keel as as a head coach. Because I think you need to be. Ugly Buff asked, "What is the probability of CU getting somebody who can actually rush the passer?" this recruiting cycle. Yeah, you know, Colorado, when Guy Thomas and Carson Wells, back when Guy Thomas was healthy, that was a pretty good duo. I think that the issue is, is not that they don't have guys that can rush the pasture. It's just the, the consistency of that. They haven't had that one guy you can point to that say, okay, he's going to have double-digit sacks this year until Jimmy Gilbert when he was a senior back in 2016. So I think it's more the, the, the collective, not one guy – that's going to change that because there have been guys on this defense that have shown flashes of the ability to run faster. It's just a consistency factor. They do have a couple edge guys verbally committed in this 2022 class, Caden Ludwig and Shaquan Bowser that look pretty good on film, but you know, I'm kind of apprehensive to anoint them the next great pass rusher until they get on campus and they start showing it. Uh, watching these games, Ryan, does there seem to be something that sticks out in terms of why they're not able to get that consistent pass rush going? Well, so much, so many good pass rushers come from phenomenal linebacker cores. Also, is they've got you have to worry about blitzers. You have to worry about other packages where you get a nickel corner Sam or something where they can blow off the edge, and you have to allot for that guy. So now you're not getting as many two on one blocks, and that's where you have really good uh, edge guys. Is is the defense or excuse me, offensive coordinators don't know who to who to block. Right is. And we had a little bit of that with, with Nate in there and, and Wells. And you have to allot certain people to those positions and sometimes more than one, and somebody's going to get freed up, right? That's what made uh, J.J. Watt such a phenomenal pass rusher is he knew when he was going to be blocked one-on-one or when he was going to have help against him. And that's what good pass rushers do is they know offensive scheme to when they're getting multiple guys blocking them or single guys and they win one-on-one matchups. It's the same thing with the receiver, right? You're never going to get one-on-one all the time, but when you do, you need to take full advantage of that. And that's, that's what a lot of people don't see that is, you know, this guy's a really talented athlete. Yeah, but they're, they're double teaming him and he's getting a chip block every play. Now we got to throw somebody on the other side that can maybe give that little bit of a threat so he can get a break and win a one-on-one matchup. And then when you've got that back and forth going, that's where you have really good established pass rushers. Very rarely do you see guys like Nindam Kinsu that just obliterate the inside and you can't block them. Mile High Crew asked, stepping back and looking at college football as a whole, there seems to be a lot of programs that are in the same position as the buffs where they are stuck in a cycle of suck. Constant coaching changes, recruiting is up and down year to year, and so many more other variables. I mean, even programs like the Longhorns and Trojans who have endless amounts of money continue to struggle. I say all that to ask, what are the main things that many college football programs are doing that has them stuck in that cycle? Are there not enough good coaches? Are teams like Alabama and Georgia just gobbling up all the talent? So I think it's different for like, if you look at a CU in terms of why they haven't been able to achieve prolonged success here in the last 15 or so years compared to like a, a Texas or a USC, I think for, for programs like Colorado, it becomes this chicken and egg thing in terms of 
you need better players to win games, but winning games helps you attract better players. And so you're kind of stuck in, in a cycle where, okay, you bring in a Mel Tucker and he recruits better for a year, but then he bolts. And so you have a hard time kind of getting yourself out of that quicksand. At least that's my take on it. With uh, Texas and USC, that's more perplexing. That's, uh, I think with with USC, you know, Clay Helton, I don't think was the level of coach that they needed to lead that program to generate the excitement. Uh, but still, there's a ton of talent on the sidelines for the Longhorns and, and the Trojans. Those cases are, are more perplexing to me. But for Colorado, it's, you know, you've got to get better players, but really good players coming out of high school won an already made situation. And so it's hard to get into that 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 situation and get out of the cycle that, that Mile High crew is asking about here. What, what do you think, Ryan? I'm going to go back to consistency is you look at programs that continue to rotate coaches in and out. And I think they're going to have a much more difficult time being successful until you can build, you know, I sound like a broken record here, but until you can build that strength staff and that training staff in that whole the whole scheme and where guys really buy in, which takes, you know, if you're lucky, it takes two years, right? But, but good programs are built with alumni. They're built with, with guys that, that stay that fifth year that know that this is a special, a special thing to be a part of. And it's, it's being lost by the wayside. Um, and you're seeing it, right? Just, just like the, the, these Texas's and the, and the USC's like, Programs that are struggling. I mean, even LSU, right? Think about how much of a powerhouse LSU was, and now they're not even in a conversation, really. But there's so much rotation going on when it comes to staff that I think it's hard to keep those foundations strong. The Buffs are set to face off against Washington, a team that just had their head coach fired on Sunday. Ryan, what do you want to see from this team the next two weeks now that, like we mentioned earlier in the podcast, that bowl eligibility carrot is not there anymore? I want to see it all hang out. I want to see guys flying around like they're playing in the natty. It's it's an opportunity right here when your backs are up against the wall and, and you've really got nothing to lose here. Um, I want to see guys stay healthy and I want to see guys play with, with tenacity and, and know that, you know, maybe there is no postseason for you guys, but this is, it's still an opportunity to get good film on tape. Um, and that's that's huge, especially if you're a guy wanting to play at that next level. Get good tape on the field, especially when that's the only thing that you're playing for or where people think that's the only thing you're playing for. You've still got guys next to each other that, that deserve your, your best and your respect and ball out for the buffs. That's, that's what I want to see. That's what I need to see, and it's what I expect to see. Awesome, Ryan. Well, thanks again for reaching out to me on Sunday and for twisting my arm and getting this podcast made because uh, it was it's good to talk about things. Uh, I think uh, people go see a, a therapist to just kind of talk about things. And I think sometimes with the buffs these days, that's what you need to do. <laughs> well, I'll agree with you, even if I don't want to. So, Awesome. Appreciate you, Ryan. And thanks to all of you tuning in.